Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And could I briefly say thank you to all those of you who send your gifts, money gifts, and those of you that spend time praying for us as we minister right at this moment we we begin again to move around the world through all the time zones uh, until countless thousands will have listened to this message and it is because of your gifts and I just want to make note that you are listening to this broadcast by the kindness the the love of persons who have contributed the money that makes it possible. So thank you. I want to do something that is fascinating to me. You know, it says in Romans 12, 3, that we are transformed in our lives. That is, our lives come into alignment in fullness to the new creation that we are. We are transformed. We walk in new newness of life and it says that is so by the renewing of our mind and one could talk abstractly about that um, just generally but I, I want to get inside the head I don't know another way of saying it I want to get inside how a person in the Old Testament thought because you see, the fact is that our daily life, uh, our behaviors, the words we say, the ambitions we hold, they all begin in our thoughts. Our thoughts is where our real life has its origins. Our behaviors, our concrete actions all begin in our thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Our actions then grow from seed thoughts. We, we have, you know, our actions are the belated announcement of what we've been thinking, how we view life, our whole attitude toward ourselves and towards the life we're in. Um, our thoughts contain the roots of, of what become now revealed in our actions. Okay, I think you know that, but enough to say it. Now, in the Old Testament, we are dealing with persons who have not got all the story. They are waiting. They are persons who are waiting for Jesus to come. They have no idea. They cannot comprehend this purpose of God. Uh, Isaiah the prophet, speaking of these Old Testament folk, he said, I has not seen nor ear heard, it's never entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those who wait for him, love him, 
Um, and Paul quotes that in the New Testament in Corinthians and, and quoting it exactly as Isaiah wrote it, but then he adds to it and says, but now God has revealed this to us by his Spirit. And so when we come to the Old Testament, we're looking at persons who stretched forward to, to, to a glory, a wondrous life that they at that present time could hardly uh, comprehend. It was beyond their imagination. It lived in the realm of fantasy. So we read the Old Testament in the light of the New that's what Jesus did the night he rose from the dead. The first thing he did was take them to the Old Testament, Luke chapter 24. He took them to the Old Testament and says, Now let me reread it to you, explaining that I fill all of it. It's all about me, said Jesus. And so he gave us a new Old Testament. That is, he reinterpreted it in the light of who he was and what he'd accomplished. That's what I, I want to do. We're looking at an Old Testament character. But I want to recognize that everything about this very wonderful person, yet it, it still stretched forward. It pointed on. It, it, it desired something that would not come until Jesus rose from the dead, ascended, and the Holy Spirit filled us. And then everything that was true of this Old Testament character became magnified. True truth, if you like, in, in our lives. And, and so you can turn to Numbers chapter 14. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of years, we, we've been here in great detail before, but I, I'm not going where we were before. I am fascinated with one fellow here, that one fellow is Caleb, Caleb, and not as we dealt with him before as the character of this history. I want to know how Caleb thought, what was going on in his mind, because he stood out along with Joshua, they stood out as those who had a totally different understanding of the events they faced. The, the, the rest of the nation, possibly up to three million people, led by ten other of these scouts, um, they, they lost their inheritance and a generation was wasted. And against that multitude of persons stand these two characters, Caleb and Joshua. What were they thinking? What, what brought them to be able to so boldly, courageously stand against an entire nation, along, of course, with Moses and Aaron, but they, they stood against a whole nation? What, what was their thought process? Because, you see, if I can understand that, and then understand that we now had the Holy Spirit living within us, so that all that they had here in Numbers 14 is multiplied a million times. I think we'll be somewhere on the track to discovering what it means to renew our mind and in so doing, transform our lives. Okay, they, these people, they were the original slaves of Egypt. 
Um, they, they were those who had been raised in slavery. None of this multitude, including Caleb and Joshua, none of them had ever known freedom until that night of the first Passover and they left Egypt and they went through the Red Sea by God's miracle hand and through the desert with manna and water that came out of rocks. This was, can you imagine, just so quickly, what these people were really going through? Can you imagine it? The signs and wonders of God's presence, they, they saw it all. And they, they came to Mount Sinai, and there God spoke to them. And in speaking to them, declared that they were his special people. In fact, the better translation would be, you are my special treasure. One translation has it, you are my pocket money. It is God says, I just delight in you. That was God's report to these people as he gave them the law, which in its simplicity is indeed a bringing of people to love. Well, they went on from Mount Sinai and they come to a place called Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, which is the extreme southern end of uh, what we know in this part of the scripture as Canaan. And, and, and there is where this all takes place. Now, why had they left Egypt? This, you must understand, was not simply they're going to leave Egypt to sort of leave Egypt. It, the leaving of Egypt, although it would stand as the memorial of God's power throughout the ages, that was not the point. The point was where they're going to. They were leaving Egypt in order to had liberty, freedom, and they were leaving Egypt in order to receive the covenant of God and then go to the land that God gave them as a gift, and in that land, that space, that real estate, within those boundaries, the, the covenant that they had with God would be lived out. It would be demonstrated to the world as this is life. This, this law of love was to rule the land and neighbor would love neighbor and they all would trust the Lord and they would revel in his love for them. And their love would extend even to their animals, and it would extend to passing strangers. And all the world, as it went through and around this people, would say, now that is what mankind was made to do. That was the plan. And this land that they were to go to, this gift from God, was called, and throughout the whole of Scripture, is called their inheritance. Inheritance. That is, it is a gift. And a gift from their God. And that is why they could never sell their land. There were no realtors in Israel, because you couldn't sell your land. 
It was God's gift, and it was passed on through family, ancestors, and every dimension is there in Joshua. It was their inheritance, and they were to take their inheritance, and in that inheritance demonstrate that they were a people in covenant with God, and therefore an empowered people living out their lives in union with God. And I think most of you by now know this, but let me say a covenant is a very old word. It goes back to the beginning pages of the Bible. And it is a word which means that God gave himself without restriction gives himself and seals it with blood and makes an oath. And the Bible makes much of the fact that an oath is you, you call upon your God to witness what you're saying and to say that if I do not keep this promise of what I'm saying, then may God indeed judge me and, and deal with me. And, and in covenant language, it was very strong. I mean, you're talking about if you don't keep this covenant that you're now swearing an oath to keep, um, then may your name be blotted out, may you cease to be, and, you know, very, very, very radical. But the, the question is, if God made covenant, who, who was it that God swore by? It, it God... See, God can't call upon someone higher to swear by. No, says the scripture. God swore a covenant oath, which means he swore by himself. He swore on his own being that if he didn't keep every promise of the covenant, then God himself would cease to be. What a statement. They, they received that in fullness at Mount Sinai. And now they're on the verge. I mean, they can look over yonder and they can see the land of promise, this land of Canaan. And they decide to send in 12, well, our Bible says spies, which is, it's okay, it's kind of, antiquated um, spies. Maybe a better word would be scouts. There, there were 12 who were going to go in, fan out across the land, and come back with a report of uh, what was there and a strategy of how they're going to take it. Um, the, the, these were their top-notch men. Each tribe of these people, they, they presented their top person. Uh, and I don't just mean in terms of importance, the, the, these 12 would be something like Navy SEALs. Um, they'd be special ops. They, you, you are dealing with your, your very best persons in, in these 12. And so they go into the land and they're going to spy it out. They're going to come back with their report. Interestingly, uh, and it's, it's one of those passages very few people read, but it's in chapter 13 of Numbers, and from verse 4 on it gives the list of their names. And I don't have time to go through each one, but um, the names, the Hebrew names, were actually...
actually little sentences. It's very much like our North American Indians who are named by little sentences, you know, dances with wolves, you know, um, and, and uh, you know, chief running water or running deer or whatever, little sentences. But when you hear it in their language, it doesn't sound like sentences, it's just a sound that runs together. Well, th these Hebrew people gave names to their children, usually after prayer. Sometimes it was prophecy. It, it, it was a little sentence that, that stated their unique destiny, the way in which God would be demonstrated in their lives. Now that's interesting. These twelve fellows, they had names that tell me these, they came from families that were deeply rooted in their faith and expectancy of God's work in them and through them. And not just, I mean, as I say, we're not talking about it directly, but there's one chap here, Igal. Do you know what Igal means in Hebrew? It's a little sentence that says, God saves him. Hmm. And then, of course, Joshua, Joshua, or maybe better, Yahshua, uh, that means Yahweh, the Lord, delivers, saves. And there's another one here called Palti. And there again, it refers to the Lord being our Savior, our Deliverer. Or there's another chap here called Gadiel. And that name in Hebrew means, God is my prosperity. Well, Amiel. Amiel means, I am the servant of God. And Gedei, and that means the majesty of God. I could keep going. But you put that together, these were men that had been raised to understand God is our deliverer, God is our savior, we are his servants in the covenant. He is our prosperity. He is great. Uh, that's majesty. Interesting, isn't it? Interestingly, Caleb... <laughs> it. it on first sight, it doesn't uh, fit in. Caleb means dog. <laughs> you wouldn't, I mean, after that list of names, dog. And I, I believe it was an affectionate name, meaning that he's a faithful old dog. He, he's, he's just not going to give up. He's faithful. He'll always be there. When you're walking in the door, you can be sure he's there. He's never going to run out on you. He's never going to be disloyal, faithful. Well, they go into the land and they suddenly become aware of the opposition. Um, this was their land of inheritance. It was God's gift. And although they knew the Canaanites were there, it would appear it had never really sunk in. I mean, God has given us this gift. He is blessing us. It, it didn't dawn on the people, it wouldn't appear, that they didn't realize that someone lived there. They didn't realize. 
I suppose they thought it was unoccupied and it was just territory waiting for them to move in. And now they go there and they, they see these people and the very reason why there was an end to Canaan. These people were going to be expelled from their land. That's another whole story of Je in Genesis. But um, they're, they're a terrifying bunch. They were the vilest uh, of, of persons. They, they, they worshipped idols that were evil, uh, sensual, wickedness, sexuality taken to vile extremes and it was blatant there in the open for, and, and these people, these spies walked in the middle with bug eyes that, that what are we walking into here but also it says there, were the, uh, there was one particular tribe, Anak and they were, were the word in scripture is freely used as giant it means they were massive. In fact, their rooted seems to go back to Genesis 6. Do you remember the reason that the flood came was that the deep demonic spirits were intercourse with human women, and the result was these monstrosities, these gigantic kind of persons. And they seem that seems to carry on for a little while after the flood. And the, the sons of Anak were such characters, uh, demonic humans, if you like to give them a name. And, and they built their houses and their weapons all in, in proportion to their size. And, and, and these Hebrews, I mean, little chaps, I'll grant you, I suppose they felt more like hobbits as they go in there. And they see the opposition and they're terrified. It's as if they say, we didn't know anyone was here, let alone the size of these people and the wickedness of these people. The fact is, the opposition, see, the opposition was really a challenge. And this is the first thing I'm going to anticipate and say, this is what Caleb understood as none of the others did. The opposition in this situation, the situation which in fact contained their inheritance, it was a challenge. It was a challenge to discover the greatness of God. Do you understand? I trust you will by the time we're done. They looked at it and said, we've got to overcome this people. And that was not the point. They, they saw the situation as challenging them. They, they saw the, these persons, these enemies of the people of God, the enemies of God himself, they, they saw them as the challenge. And they said, we can't handle this. Well, Caleb didn't see it like that. He, he saw the challenge of the situation was that this is the opportunity to discover God as we've never discovered him before. We've only discovered him at this level. Now we're going to discover him at another level. And we've got these names like God saves us or Yahweh our deliverer or God is my prosperity. Well, th this situation is going to draw out our names into actual 
reality. It's going to call forth our names into history. But they didn't see it like that. They looked at the situation and collapsed. Paralyzed with fear. I, I want you to understand very clearly the word inheritance, as I said, filled the Old Testament, fills the Old Testament. But it also is in the New Testament. Oh, yes, all over the place in the New Testament. Because you see Jesus as, as the one who is the sum of mankind. He, he is the ultimate human and he receives the inheritance of which the land of Canaan was but a, a, a sort of picture book. He receives the inheritance. And that inheritance is that in this earth, the love of God, the goodness of God is revealed in concrete actions and situations. And people, you and I, concretely filled with the Holy Spirit, demonstrate the love of God. And so transform whole areas. Because it speaks of that inheritance as being in the earth. And his inheritance is that heaven is brought to earth. That means that every situation that you face, hear me very carefully, every situation that you face is your opportunity to claim your inheritance in union with Jesus. That this situation you're going to discover the glory of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, His extreme love toward you. You're going to discover that in this situation and you are going to be empowered and strengthened to live that in this situation. And when all is said and done, you will possess this situation and it shall be recorded in your history that you've transformed it. You've shaped this situation according to the love of God. The will of God in heaven has been done on earth has been revealed, even though it might sound to you impossible right now. Do you, do you understand me? We, we, we stand at our Kadesh Baniya, every one of us, facing a situation, and we recoil from it. We, we, we look at it and we turn our face and say, Lord, I, 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 I thought you were going to bless me. This doesn't look like it. And, and but the fact is, you see, that situation is... Yes, it's showing how weak I am in myself, but at the same time, it, it is beckoning to me. It, it's, it's whispering in me, the greater is he that is in you than this. Now go and prove it. Go and discover it. Go taste it. Go feel it. And you will own your situation and have filled it with the love of God. Yeah. Or oh, they came back and they went to Moses and to the people and they said, yes, everything God ever said about this land is true. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And just to prove it, we brought some grapes back and it's uh, enough to feed half of the nation. I mean, look at the, these grapes of Eshkol. And having said that, then comes the word that basically says, now cancel out everything I've just said. 
They said, nevertheless, yeah, all that is true. God was absolutely, but nevertheless, there's some stuff he didn't tell us. <laughs> no, maybe you didn't read it. Um, in the same breath, they, they are essentially slandering God's character. They're, they're canceling out his promises as, as lies. They're, they're, they're saying the very idea of going into this land to possess is fantasy. It's impossible. They, they use the expression there, read it in chapter 14, that they, they, they said that, that this is a land that devours its inhabitants. He said, to walk into this land is just to walk into the mount of the beast. You, 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 you can't do this. We're done. We're finished. It's over. It's time that we go back to Egypt. Let's lynch Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua and, and let's go back to Egypt. It's so much safer being slaves. They gave themselves, their thought process was giving themselves a false identity. Please hear me, this is so important. They gave themselves a false identity. Actually, the names that had been given to them, those names that are recorded there, that was their identity. It was an identity that was rooted in the living God of covenant who backed up every word he said with all himself. Now they gave themselves a false identity. They said that we, we walked among these people, they're too strong for us. We're so weak, we're so helpless. And we looked at them and we, we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, you know, so insignificant, just hopping little insects before these people. We're... we're totally useless, we're worthless, we're nobodies. Oh, they had faith. You see, people talk about, you know, having faith, not having... Yes, they have faith. Everybody has faith. That's how humans work. Uh, but they, they believed in themselves and their own commentary upon life as they viewed it without God. They, they left God, marginalized him altogether, and then gave a running commentary. They told themselves a story that was the situation as they saw it without God. And they, in that story they told themselves, they assumed without any real evidence, they assumed everything that those Canaanite people believed. And they ended that little uh, nonsense by saying, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and they saw us as grasshoppers too. That's not true, actually. Not true at all. Um, but they assumed that because that was their faith was in their own commentary, their own silly little story that they told themselves about what was happening. And they were terrified. I mean terrified. Fear. Fear gripped the people. 
Jordan. They shared their story of terror. They, they, they told their story that they'd invented in their own mind to the people, and the people caught their story and believed their story. And that night the whole camp was weeping as only Middle Eastern folks can. And, and, and you've got to understand, to this people, that's normal. I, I mean, in a sense, it's normal to anybody. If you're going to tell a story to yourself about what is happening to you and tell the story of what is going to happen... But leave God out of your story, well then, to end up in sheer terror, to be in the grip of fear, and have, have confusion, and chaos, and despair, um, yeah, that's kind of normal. That, that's why people, when they are facing situations, and are terrified, and panic, and fear, and all the other words that go with it. No, no one thinks they're losing their mind. It, it's normal, isn't it? I expect you to be anxious. Of course you're worried, we hear them say. Um, yeah, that's normal for this world system. Caleb actually said they're doing this was rebellion. That's an interesting word. Again, it's all through the Old Testament rebellion um, it, it's connected with disobedience but can I say disobedience in a, a maybe a, a better way of understanding it disobedience in plain English if I translate that word uh, for, from its original disobedience means I turn a deaf ear disobedience means I, I'm not listening I'm not listening and, and uh, it, it's a I'm, I'm deliberate about this. I, I don't want to listen. I, I, I think what you're saying is quite crazy. I, I'm not listening. That's disobedience, which is linked to this word rebellion. But rebellion at its heart, as it's used all through the Old Testament, means that you cancel a covenant. That is, you say, I no longer trust you, God. I no longer believe what you're saying. I no longer want to even think of myself as being in union with you. I don't trust your covenant oath. In fact, I want to go back to my beginnings and assume the chains of slavery. I want back to Egypt. I'd rather have garlic soup than to listen to you. That's strong language. But that's what the word means. And Caleb in his little talk to them, begged them, don't do that, don't do that. And he equates that with fear. That's interesting. He said that they, they were afraid of these people. And he parallels that too. They're not listening to what God says. And they're walking away from his covenant oath. Equals fear, anxiety. Please don't, don't look at anxiety and fear as something normal to humans. Anxiety and fear came in with the fall of humankind. It's the essence of the flesh. Fear and anxiety is the oxygen of Satan. Oh yeah, it's not normal at all. Caleb, he on the other hand, 
knew who he was. I mean, deeply knew. He doesn't go hysterical about it, doesn't scream and shout. He just simply knows. He knows who he is. Uh, it's the question I would put to every one of us, myself included. Do we know who we are? We find our identity with what others say about us. We find our identity with what our ancestors have passed on to us in a sort of generational baton in a relay race. And we're told this is who you are. These are your limits. These are your boundaries. And you better get used to it. This is who you are. But no, only God knows who I am. Only God knows who you are. Caleb knew what God said he was. Caleb knew with God's own thoughts about him who he truly was. And Caleb knew who these people were. Now that's very important. I could spend a long time on that. Um, Caleb did not look at all these people, the other ten scouts and the, the millions of people who were affected by it, he didn't look at them and say that, that you, you, you're no good, you're stupid, uh, you've got... No, he, he includes them in, in his statement. He, he not only knew who he was, he knew who they were, even though they didn't know who they were. And so... When the Lord himself talks about Caleb in verse 24 of chapter 14, um, he says, My servant Caleb, he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. Different spirit. Okay, spirit. It's that word, Old Testament word, I like the sound of it, spirit is ruach, and, and, and that, that word, it, it means spirit, but it also meant breath, it, and, and breath as in wind, and so it, it, it sort of describes that energy that is in a person and goes out through them, and of course the, the strong um, suggestion in the old but certainly yes absolutely in the New Testament is that my, my spirit is so joined with Holy Spirit that most of the time you can hardly tell cannot tell the difference um, the, the breath there was the breath of God's spirit the, the blew through the whole person of Caleb and everything he touched it was the wind of God, the wind of love, the wind of light. That invisible energy that we call attitude. You know, when someone comes into the room, you know what I mean. It's as if there's a great energy force going ahead of them. And if they're, well, we say in a mood... If they're angry, if they're bitter, if they're upset, it all go. You know it before they've ever said a word, because it's this this word. There's a there's a, a breath here. There's an energy. There's there's far more than their physical body. Here is their invisible self, and that is coming out. And it's in every word. It's in their looks. It's in the way they hold their head. It's the way they hold their body. It's all there. 
Um, it says the Lord of Caleb, he has a different spirit. That That is, he, he, he's not thinking with the herd. He's thinking my thoughts. He, he's, he's seeing this situation as I see it. He's thinking in accord with heaven's wisdom, which makes him way out of step with these other ten chaps and, and, and everybody who's believing them. This is what it means. He's in the world, but he's not of it. He's of a different spirit. He, he was able to actually see with inside eyes what others couldn't see. Interestingly, and I, I don't have the time to give all the details, but within this word different, there is the, what, there's a sub-meaning uh, to it of after. And, and so one could say he's, he's an after spirit. It, it was a Hebrew way of giving the image of second thought. There's an afterthought. You see, when I look at a situation, I in my humanity, in my flesh, and I, I live by my five senses bringing to me the report of what's happening around me. Well, yeah, I, I see that Caleb saw everything that the other chaps had seen. He, he saw the, the wickedness of the people, their cruelty, but also the, the terror that emanated toward anyone who came near them. He saw these gigantic, he saw it all. And, and therefore, if I'm going to just go by my five senses and the feelings of my flesh, I can very quickly go into fear. Of course I can. But Caleb is the kind of fellow that had a second thought. And, and very quickly, too. I see what my senses say, but I recognize immediately that there's more here than meets the eye. The God who is our God is here keeping his word. The God, the covenant God who has given himself to us and given us this as our inheritance. With him all things are possible. And he moved beyond what the others were seeing. And, and, and it says that, and the Lord, this is the Lord's uh, reference for him. He says he, he's a different spirit. And, and, and he follows the Lord fully. Uh, again, that's an expression that comes right out of uh, the Hebrew way of talking. It, it means to follow after with a passion. This is not, you know, dragging my feet, wishing I was somewhere else. The Lord says, this man follows me with a passion. It would be the word you would use if you're on a treasure hunt. And, and, and you're absolutely certain that you're, you're right there and you've just got to find the way in to find the treasure. And there's an excitement and there's a passion and you can hardly wait to get up in the morning to pursue this. He says he follows me fully. He doesn't have one eye over here and one eye over there and all I am. He follows me fully. And this word fully um, actually it, it's 
translated elsewhere as fulfilled or to fulfill that that is he follows me with with passion but he fully fulfills everything that i'm about he is committed to he he fulfills it he carries it through to the end uh, let me illustrate that by saying uh, an, a pregnancy is a matter of fulfilling. That is, we, we even use the term, um, full term. So, so uh, it's nine months pregnancy and the baby is here. Okay, that's been fulfilled to the full. And you go through the nine months. You're committed to it. Right? Caleb was committed. He was committed to carry this incredible relationship that he knew that he had and was part of to its full term. We're going to see this in action. Fulfill in terms of the covenant, will be saying the Amen, that is, I trust you. And I trust you under all circumstances. I trust you whatever the situation. I trust you. And I rest into your faithfulness in the long haul. That's why when he saw this situation of Canaan and, and this situation that they had to handle right now, and within that situation was their inheritance. So he, he saw, right now I'm being challenged to come and experience the love of God as I've never done so before. I, I'm, I'm coming to experience God's goodness as never before. His blessing as I've only heard spoken. I, I'm calling that. It, it's a beckoning me to come and take and receive. So his question would be, what are you up to, God? What, what, what are you doing here that I need to know so I'm doing it in harmony with you? It's interesting, the other ten, and following up that, everybody who believed them, they, they didn't see. All they could see was that they were fodder for these gigantic people. They're, they're going to be killed i mean there's no two ways about it there's no discussion about it that's the way it is they're going to destroy us and that ended up with the question which they asked of him if you read that whole chapter why <laughs> why have you brought us into this wilderness to kill us oh god why have you done this why have you thrown us to these ravening bees why 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 have you done it if you're the covenant god if you love us why have you done this we're going back to egypt we don't like this game that's always the case isn't it either you're asking from an, a, a, an attitude of, of passion and expectancy what, what what's next where are we going what are you doing because i want to be part of it as opposed to why you see, there's no answer to why. Your brain 
little tiny P button. There, there's no way you could understand the, the whys. That, that, that's only the question of a person who hasn't got a clue what's going on. Um, no, we, we recognize that this is, this is God's domain. And here we stand, and here we, we are. So what are you up to? Never why. And, and he was so sure, you see, that this kind of language that he's using, this kind of expectancy that he's hand, it is rooted in a fact that is immovable. There's no debate. There can never be debate. That I am the center of God's affection. God loves me. Therefore all his actions will be good to me. And all that he does blesses me. That's final. And so coming to the situation, it's seeing that you love me. Because you love me. Because I know that for a fact. Because you swore upon your own being that that's the way it is. Then therefore... What good thing are you up to here? I'm seeking to look behind the giants. I'm looking through the difficulty. And, and so he says to the people, um, God is pleased with us. God is pleased. He said, if God is pleased with us, what more do you want? If God be for us, who can be against us? And this word please that he uses here in, in this chapter um, it's in verse number 8. God is pleased. It's, it's a massive word in the Hebrew language. And it means, and I, I give you the exact definition, it means the experience of emotional delight. It is the feeling of great favor towards someone. This is... This is not merely acceptance. This isn't, okay, God accepts you. No, this means that God can't contain himself. It is a delight. It is the feeling of love. God loves you. He's nuts about you. He's got fire in his belly over you. That's what it means. It means favor. Well, what is favor? If you are favored, it means an intentional, thought-out bias. That is, someone is working toward you to always favor you. That's what this word means. If God has such feelings toward you, he always intentionally steps in to do things good to you. He delights. He, he desires you. He wants to be with you. word that's used in the New Testament is well pleased. That's what the Father said about Jesus. It's my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's this word. He, he has pleasure in... Do you, do you recognize? This is you we're speaking of. You see, this is where... Caleb thought, this is where his mind is, this is who I am, he is saying, this is my identity. And, in fact, it's their identity too, they don't seem to know it, but it is. It's the foundation of the hope that we have for any promise. God is for us, all the time. God delights in us, he is pro us. 
He's intentional and he's biased toward us. That's what he's saying. So therefore, you see, he's not throwing us to the wolves. Beyond the immediate presentation of this situation is all that God shall reveal himself to us to be and all the strength and ability and wisdom and know-how he'll give to us to walk through and establish this as our inheritance. In fact, he says in the same passage there, verse 8, 9, he uses an expression that their shade has gone. It, let me interpret that in plain English. He is saying that God has gone ahead of us. He's taken away from these people all their protection. And when they look at you, they're going to see ten men for every one of you. They're terrified of you already. So don't you fear them. Don't you tell yourself a silly story that has no rootage in fact. Tell yourself God's story. Tell yourself what God is thinking. Tell yourself what his opinion of this minute is. Come up with a very different story. Oh, you are the beloved of God. You are. Do you realize how many times have I said it? For God so loved the world that, which means he's now going to define that love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is, he equates you in terms of your value and your worth with Jesus. I don't care what your ancestors said about you. I don't care what your parents said. I don't care what everybody who has ever known you says. God knows who you are and he says that he delights in you. He finds his pleasure in you. He's with you. And this situation you're facing is but a gateway into establishing your inheritance of living this love, living this goodness, living this covenant right here on this planet. So, when we speak of Caleb's faith, he, his faith was not, I'm trying to believe, I'm trying to believe. He simply says, Father, God, this is what you believe. I choose to trust you and come along on your faith. I'll make your opinion of what's happening here my opinion. I'll take your words about this and I'll say them. And he, and he finishes it up by, by saying, the Lord is with us. What more can I say? As we've already seen in weeks gone by, when, when the Lord being with you means that you are unique, you are a different people to any others on the face of the earth. So, Caleb's normal was to always think in terms of the greatness of God's love towards him, that the fact that love could never fail, for it was a covenant love, and that this situation is, is not... See, this situation doesn't take place outside of the covenant. Be surprised how many people think like that. that. That if it's not sort of a spiritual thing, whatever that means, 
then it's it's not part of the covenant, which of course excludes your job probably, and excludes all those years you spend in school and college. And well, come to think of it, there's not much left beyond Sunday. But no, you see, every part of your life is inside the covenant. Every part of your life is in Christ. Think about that for at least two days. Every part of your life, every relationship, every hour of work and study and school, it's all inside of Christ, which means Christ Jesus is inside of it all because that's where the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit dwells in you. I mean, how much more delight can God have in you? He's chosen to make you the place of His dwelling. I mean, there's nothing, nothing else in the entire cosmos that delights God more than you. He dwells within you, and every part then of your life is within Christ in the covenant which means that everything in your life is subject to the promises of the covenant, to everything that the covenant says. So if the Lord says, He's my deliverer, then it means that everything in my life is going to be subject to that and, and will bow to Him who is my deliverer, you see. If, if he says that this situation would, at this present moment looks so terrifying, so impossible, if he says this is where he is giving me my inheritance, then this situation will have to bow to him and the strength that he gives to me. You see, the challenge you have in your life right now is not the difficulties of this situation. The challenge you have is to discover the goodness and the love of God that is so infinitely greater than this situation flowing to you because of this situation. Because if it wasn't for this situation, you wouldn't even be a candidate for such uh, an expression of God's love power. You wouldn't need it. But this situation has brought you to a place where you are going to discover God as you've never found Him before. Because you've never faced a difficulty like this before. Does that all make sense? Huh. That, that's our normal. You see, Caleb didn't come up with this kind of thinking when he met the first giant. You follow me? Uh, no, if, if this wasn't normal to him um, he would have been like the others first giant and that's the end of anything you call faith but his norm, see, their normal was fear, anxiety, worry that's normal says the world and says a lot of Christians whose name would suggest their true identity but they seem to have forgotten that and defaulted to their flesh world thinking but Caleb's normal, he, this is the way he thought when he was in Egypt and everything he saw in Egypt and Red Sea and manner in the wilderness only gave him reason to 
know this is the case. Now when he meets the giants, he can immediately have that second thought that goes immediately to the true truth that, that God is here and God's got this covered. It's all in his hands. God delights in us. He is with us. He's cleared the way before us. It's normal. All, all of life passes through this stained glass. You know what I mean? If, if you have a stained glass window and it's blue, then you look out there and everything out there it looks blue. Well, the stained glass window of the believer is the color of life as it always should be. And we look out through that glass and we look out through it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We look out and we see that God is here. God is in this. It's the way we look at life. It's our normal. It's our default position. Interestingly, and uh, my time is gone, but interestingly, um, because of those ten who influenced the rest of the nation, this people did not go into that land, Canaan. They were doomed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And at the end of that 40 years, every one of them had died in the wilderness. And all that was left were all the children of those people. And so it all begins again. 40 years later, Moses has died. Joshua takes his place. And we move into the land of Canaan, book of Joshua. That's 40 years later. And the only survivors from this incident at Kadesh was Joshua and Caleb. Caleb now was an old man of 80 years old. And they go into the land and he says, finally, for 40 years wandering through the desert, Everything I saw back there, everything God said, this is yours. Finally, I put my foot down again in this land, only this time it's, it's mine to take. And, and on his 85th birthday, he goes to old Joshua said, you remember those old days, buddy? And then said Caleb, you know, back there, Moses made me a promise that God said was okay that I could have the whole land of Hebron. There's some massive giants there. And the Lord told me they're mine. I can take that. And he says, I'm 85 today, but I'm as strong as a young chicken. And he says, give me the permission to go and inherit what I've been waiting for for 45 years. And he did. And all the descendants of Caleb lived there in Hebron. Look, I, I don't know, it comes back to me again and again as I was preparing this, as I'm talking. You are facing a situation. That situation is to you like Canaan. It is bristling with things that actually make you terrified. It's hard for you to believe that this is your blessing, this is your inheritance. But the fact is, it is right here. Facing these situations that you've never faced before, then you will discover God 
in his glory as you've never discovered him before. Because whatever your situation, always you're going to meet him who is greater than. And you are going to receive the strength, the ability, the know-how, the wisdom to walk through this. And you are going to establish in this situation the triumph of God's love. I don't know, that's what was on my mind when I was preparing this. It kind of says it in a nutshell. It was the way Caleb thought. And I pray that shall be your experience. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing be upon you, infuse you, open your eyes to see clearly, grant you the strength to walk forward and discover the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as you have never known Him before. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is.